Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Why I Got In. I'm your host, Scott Wind, and uh, we're here to give it to you live and direct. So stay in effect. Today's guest is an illustrator, an animator, and a digital artist. Um, he's in a Georgia native and um, a good friend of mine. Please help me in welcoming Jared Hunter. Well, welcome to today's edition of Why I Got In. I am hanging out with my good friend, Jared Hunter. And uh, Jared is an animator and an all-around uh, artist and creative. And uh, Jared, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Tell me a little bit about like what you do and why you got into being an animator. Well, uh, what I do right now is I'm... Uh, <laughs> My title kind of changes at my uh, job based on what I do, but it's safe to say I'm more um, a graphics generalist. You know, um, I can do some motion graphics, I can do graphic design, 3D, 2D, animation, illustration, etc. Um, and so it's a nice um, it's a, it's a nice set of skills to have. Um, some of my skills are stronger than others naturally, but it has afforded me. Um, or it's made me uh, employee employment wise very attractive to you know marketing departments because they uh, by default this sort of employment uh, this sort of education sort of uh, lends one to constantly you know keeping abreast of what the new trends and styles are um, even if you don't have the software you're paying attention to what the, the new flashy software packages are whether or not they're worth it um, and of course when you have this when you study a lot of different um, types of artworks and mediums um you tend to know how to get by without the latest stuff you know how to oh, like i can i can do that in after effects this way or i don't have that program but i can do this here that sort of thing um and i mean that you still keep learning as much as you can you know you watch your tutorials and all that sort of thing but um you don't lose heart as easily when you see some flashy stuff that you don't have you're like okay how could i do that you know or you know a good design isn't a good design doesn't require lots of flashiness anyway. I mean, I've seen tons of amazing work, um, graphic, motion graphics, people, 3D stuff, and it's on like those websites that sell them as templates. But, you know, you're like, who's going to need a fire-breathing dragon um, as part of their logo intro? You know, that looks beautiful. It's great. Would have worked for Harry Potter, but not a lot of, you know, money bag corporate people are going to be looking for that sort of thing. Um, so, but, but that's also where... Um, you know, uh, I'm glad, I'm happy for the education I got at Georgia State because that's where I learned uh, about drawing, painting, and printmaking. The point being, uh, it was very focused on ideas and concepts and technical execution, but, um, you know, they wanted you to have a strong idea so that you start with that rather than start with something weak and then try to cover it up with lots of flashy effects, you know, like Hollywood. So, yeah, that's a lot. But we're going to break that down and kind of see how you got there. So we met when we were in high school and you were already a really talented and prolific artist at that point. Let's take it back even, even further. When did you start developing an eye for art and what was like your environment like? Well, I knew I liked drawing. Um, and for myself personally, my memories start around the age of seven. Uh, the ones that I can really recall. And uh, I liked drawing from that age that I remember. And uh, so I just liked to draw a lot. And I was really lucky to have um, a mom that um, 
she's still alive. But I was really lucky to have um, a mom that did not discourage throwing. Um, she did, I mean, she would have been more than happy if I had wanted to study law or medicine, but she wasn't bothered that I wanted to do art. She was always very, you know, unquestionably supportive of that. And, um, you know, I never really bought into the whole starving artist thing. I mean, you know, that's uh, happened before, but I mean, whatever, that doesn't mean it has to be you. Um, so that's the attitude I kept and I kept drawing and drawing and, um, I wasn't good for a long time. Still, sometimes I question my skill, but, um, you know, but it didn't matter because I still like to do it. You know, anyone, anyone who has a thing that they want to do, whether or not they're the best at it, that the, the, the uh, desire to do it just will not go away. Even when they haven't done it for a while, something in them is still itching to do it. That's, um, that is something that can't, that's, that's amazing. It's wonderful. That's, that's a gift, no matter what it is. So, um, you know, I thankfully have received that. And uh, yeah, so that drawing stick with me since um, I was seven and um, still with me today. What was the other part of the question? I feel like I missed part of it. No, I mean, you totally answered it. Like, uh, who are some of your influences? In, you know, uh, was there anyone that like put drawing in your hand or were, was there like a teacher or anything like that 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 kind of inspired you or pushed you or was it just the, that you kind of just started the, on just randomly and you just couldn't stop drawing? You know? All the above. Um, you know, part of it was the, I think the initial part, the initial, the catalyst, if you will, was, you know, just something in me was always like, I want, I want to see if I can draw that. I'd like to be able to draw that. I'd like to be able to draw that because you can then control what you do with it. Right. Um, but uh, like a lot of like a lot of artists, um, you know, I first fell in love when I started watching Disney movies in terms of like, you know, really, really wanting a hardcore. And my first Disney movie that I remember was The Little Mermaid. And I remember just, you know, thinking it was so cool how they were drawing things that were underwater. I remember uh, just Ursula, even as a kid, not knowing all the mechanics of animation. But, you know, you, you have a certain level of intelligence, nonetheless, that picks up on things, even if you don't can't put your finger on them and just seeing how it's like wow they made an octopus move like that and you know they're they just making her move and do all these crazy things and how are they doing that with all that hair and i remember just being wowed by that so disney and then there were other artists that um, made it look easy when it wasn't uh you know one of the more obscure names now not always i don't think was ruth thompson she was um have you heard of that one yeah i know ruth thompson so even though that's, it's very fantastical, which is not, I'm not saying that as a pejorative, some people sort of think fantasy art and be like, oh, whatever. No, 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 no. It still requires knowledge of anatomy and study of humans and animals. And obviously um, technical skill and just good ideas. Ruth Thompson, um, Jim Davis, uh, and you know, his drawings were much more simple, but they were consistent and had such wonderful volume now. He hasn't drawn his own Garfields for a long time now, but you know, he, it came from somewhere and that's him. Um, and then when, when I got, uh, you know, towards high school and college, when it was like serious, serious hardcore time, um, it may sound cliche, but I got really into the Italian masters, um, Da Vinci's notebooks, the Codex Huygens, I think I'm pronouncing that right, maybe not, but um, just manuals of how to draw. 
and I've got several of his, uh, or several, you know, copies of his uh, manuscripts. And uh, also Charles Boon, uh, he was a, if I, it's been so long since I've looked at him, but uh, you know, he was French court painter, if I'm not mistaken. Beautiful, 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 beautiful drawings. Um, you know, John Singer Sargent, known for his paintings, but his drawings were just out of this world. Um, he, and he, you know, he just, he's one of those artists that just makes it look so simple. You look at how clean his drawings are and just how practically perfect they are without being photos. And, you know, you look at art like that and you start to see how you don't have to draw photorealistically to have a, you know, fantastic, you know, piece of art. I'm not knocking anyone who draws photorealistically. That's a talent unto itself. It's amazing, phenomenal, you know, credit where it's due. But um, the idea that you can still draw on a, on, on a level that's identifiable with photorealism and it's not um, that, I mean, come on, you know. And, you know, drawing in a certain style conveys certain things that, uh, feelings and emotions and ideas, um, you know, that I don't think I can personally, which I'm just speaking for myself, even if I was the most amazing artist in the world, could capture if I was just drawing photorealistically, you know. I mean, you look at paintings from the Renaissance or any number of eras, you know, uh, Da Vinci, he, you know, that's not, in my opinion, photorealism. It's, it's, it's just highly rendered painting. And you don't get that sort of softness and depth, in my opinion, um, when you just, now, I don't want to say when you just take a photo because that's work. Taking photos is work. Um, just, you know, different strokes for different folks. Some people are going to get offended by me saying that, but you no, can't. It's, it's interesting that you say that because you talk about the Da Vinci journals, like, the, the drawing journals. A yeah. lot of my early photography work was based off of the sculptures. Mm -hmm. so. Yes, and you can see that in your work too, because of, um, but see, looking at your work, that's why it's easy to argue that photography is an art, an art medium into itself, because you can't, you know, you are focusing on different, in your work, you're focusing on different parts of people's bodies, and then you're also um, putting that into composition with cityscapes and other background elements that, um, that's not just here's a picture of a flower, you know. Yeah. Um, but you've I mean, got a nice thing. Yeah, I do that because I was jealous of you guys, like you and my uncle and people who could really, really get that thing out of their minds. I onto paper, you know. I, I wasn't able to. Uh, I wasn't blessed with that skill to the ability you guys were. So I had to find my my own way to get the vision. Okay. Well, that's funny. You, that's funny you say that. You did. You did. You did ask if I had a teacher, and I've had a few that I've liked, loved, but one, um, God bless him. His name is Paul Rodiker, and he's still drawing, and he still posts pretty great drawings on Facebook. But um, he was probably the most hardcore teacher I've ever had. Um, he was at Georgia State, probably the most hardcore in terms of really getting us to push ourselves when we draw and uh, just think outside of our boxes and really uh, kind of form a relationship with our tools mm -hmm. and uh, with our eyeballs and our brains. Because the reason I bring that up is because a lot of people say I can't draw a stick figure. And some people probably, I will say, are not predisposed to drawing. But Paul Rodiger taught us that drawing is about seeing. And it really, really is. 
you know, because, you know, when I was in high school, I didn't want to be, I didn't want to do this whole oval with a line through it and tubes for arms. I just wanted to get right to fingers and muscles and veins. But um, no, you know, you can't really go into all that until you start seeing those basic shapes. And when you start uh, drawing a portrait or even a, uh, a character, you know, you've got to think about, you know, what you've seen, what you're observing from your references, what shapes those are and seeing the relationship of one thing to another from like anything from the big toe to the kneecap, from the, you know, the corner of the eye to, you know, the navel. Those, that might sound ridiculous, but, you know, people who have been drawing for a long time, at least in my opinion, the way I do it, which I know I'm not alone, um, that's where the sight comes in. And even, you know, I would draw a figure in his class, he'd be like, why didn't you draw the background? And, you know, that annoyed me at first, but then once I started doing it, I started seeing, you know, when you start incorporating that, or co incorporating that, not only is it more interesting, you know, that background, everything in the, that you are seeing is a map to how you construct the um, proportions properly. You know, it takes practice, yes, but, you know, you start becoming more grateful. I like drawing, um, when I draw humans, I kind of like drawing older people now because they have so many features and things on their face that help me to just, you know, see the relationships between those things. And it's harder for me to get the proportions wrong. I like drawing pretty sexy people too, but um, sometimes they prove to be more challenging as a result because, you know, their features are just a lot more streamlined. And uh, obviously that's not a criticism. It's just uh, for me personally, uh, older people, you know, that whole visual relationship comes into play more, but it does with younger people too. You just, um, there's just less um, landmarks to work with. Right, the, the Fibonacci is, is skewed a bit. Once a pinch. Gone. Of course, if they're super ripped, then you get more detail back in there again, so that's fine. <laughs> but then you don't wanna, I'm, I'm not gonna go off on too much of a tangent here, but you know, I, you, know you don't wanna draw too many ripped people, otherwise you, you, know, you may as well just go draw anime which, where everyone has a 12 pack and it's just not interesting anymore. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I think there are different grades to that too, though. Um, you've seen um, a lot of variation in anime and art. You do, and I still I watch anime, so that wasn't the best choice of words. Yeah, so I know you do. And speaking of which, let's talk about some of your like art influences. I mean, we talked about art influences kind of through time, but like, yeah. what were you watching when you were a kid? What kind of toys were you playing with, like outside of your drawing? Oh man. Well, <laughs> okay. This is going to sound kind of dumb, but I'll explain it. Um, one of my favorite things to play with when I was a kid, to be honest, was just a plain old stick because sticks could be swords. They could be wizard staffs. They could be, um, you get two, you have a bow and arrow, you know, um, it could be weapon, you know, so you could do any number of things with that. And that, um, I think is part of what, you know, was behind, it is what helps you to be a more imaginative artist because it's just a stick, right? But you see, just like with a line or a shape, you see all the different possibilities that can come out of that, yeah? Um, so I really liked, um, I really liked going outside and just finding a nice, you know, a nice stick and just, you know, becoming any number of characters with it and it became any number of things. Um, what was I watching? Um, a lot of stuff that you'll recognize, uh, the original Thundercats, um, the 90s, you know, classic. I would like, you know, I would like get off the school bus and like dart home to watch that. Um, then, of course, couldn't miss the Thundercats. 
the 90s Spider-Man, the 90s X-Men. Um, there was this really cool, I forgot who the, the studio, I think it was Fox when they had an animation studio in the 90s. They had their own version of Peter Pan where the Lost Boys could fly. Yes, Captain I remember Marvel. that. Mm -hmm. I liked that, the Pirates of Dark Water. Um, that was really great. And uh, obviously, you know, there's that, that Mario and Zelda cartoon. And then when anime hit the scene, for me, I mean, when it, you know, came more mainstream over here or in its earlier um, introduction, um, like a lot of other kids, I was watching what was, whatever was on. Um, so Dragon Ball Z, I was watching Sailor Moon. Um, when Toonami got big, uh, I was watching almost, almost anything on there. So there's lots of Tinchi Muyo, uh, Yu Yu Hakusho. Uh, so th those were all really great influences uh, in terms of, you know, I will say this, I knocked, I knocked anime unintentionally a few minutes ago, but I, you know, I did want to try my hand at that because those, um, you know, obviously anime has its own charm and grace when it comes to rendering females. Um, and of course, you know, the last few years they've gotten, they applied more, more of a, not a feminine touch, but a more graceful touch to their male figures as well. Not that there's anything wrong with a masculine quote unquote rugged look, but, um, you know, I remember having a notebook full of my first attempts at anime, which no one shall ever see. It's sort of like a Goya's dark paintings. A little after I'm dead, it was this. It's just like we're not gonna, we're not gonna, we're not gonna discuss that. Even now, like I could draw anime now, but I've been so so long out of it that I would need like a couple of weeks of reintroduction before I would show anyone anything. I'm sure I've, I'm sure I've got a photo laying around somewhere. You might. <laughs> I mean, like, now when I did my first AWA with a table, I was drawing more anime then and I wasn't so ashamed of it. I hadn't learned much about digital art yet, so I was kind of in the stone age. But at the same time, it kind of got me more attention because people were like, wow, you actually drew this on paper? <laughs> so, um, and, and to be honest, I don't regret that. I still draw on paper on occasion. It's smarter to do it digitally um, in terms of professional work, but I like to be able to still have those real marks and you know, I'll find myself, I'll be drawing on paper and I'll try to like, I'll do, do my two fingers like this and try to zoom in on the paper and I just forget for a half second, this is a computer. Um, so those shows like that, basically, you know. Interesting. I kind of picked up like two things in there. It's one is like um, between sort of your toys and your, um, choices of entertainment it feels like you um liked the stick because it gave you this cerebral imagination with an inanimate object to, to like source it through yeah i mean and yeah that sort of corresponds the same way with the type of shows you watch mm. how do you think um those type of creative choices or, you know, those things have consciously helped you develop um, your personal art style, like, and what do you think that is now? You know, I, um, I'll start with the last part of that question first. It's funny you ask that. I've kind of been asking myself what my own art style is um, the past few months, because when I look at my, uh, the body of work I have, I still don't feel like I've discovered something that's uniquely mine. I mean, 
some people can look at my drawings and say, oh yeah, you drew those. Um, but I'm still, and that's okay, I guess, but I'm still not, I still don't feel like I've found that thing that is obviously me. Now, you know, part of me is okay with that in the sense that I like to be able to do other styles to be more marketable or in case I ever work on a team, you know, um, I'll be able to, with some time, pick up that, what style, whatever that is, so that, you know, we can all work together to produce something. But it would be nice, and I'm working on it, to develop a style that's as recognizable as, say, um, Chris Sanders or um, Ross Tran, you know, uh, those, uh, especially uh, Sanders, I mean, the way he draws his pinups, um, but in that just so uniquely his way, and Ross Tran too, you know, it's funny, um, artists, some artists get a, get a lot of flack for, you know, drawing, only drawing pretty girls, but, um, and I can see why people say that, but then you got to look at these same artists who seem to do that. You've got to look at what else they can do. I mean, Ross Tran does some really great, um, really, really great landscapes. And to be honest, if he's making money selling, you know, beautiful women pictures, then I mean, don't hate, you know, same, right. same thing with Chris Sanders, because those guys, um, those guys, they had to draw so much and make so many crappy drawings before they got to that style that was theirs. I don't want to say crappy because I haven't seen them. Maybe they have no crappy. It was progression. I mean, I would definitely say that there's a number of, I mean, with anything, there's, there's a number of hours you have to put into it. But I mean, with that, mm -hmm. like, there's so much time with hand repetition and yeah. development of stroke and pressure and all that kind of stuff lighting you know yeah pen choices or you know pencil choices or marker choices or how you lay all that down there, there are so many elements and aspects to what makes um that unique in them um, yes so. and it's and in a way you know you kind of have to well i can't obviously all this i speak for myself only um I look to those, those, um, those and many other artists, but in a way sometimes I have to disengage because you'll find yourself drawing and say, in this drawing session, I'm gonna focus on noses and getting the planes of a nose right. It, that it, when I say right, I mean understanding that they're there and uh, being able to draw that out, whether you're using shapes or line or both, or whatever. And uh, when I say sometimes you have to disengage it, um, from looking at other people's art is I myself, will get stuck in, well, it doesn't look like that. I'm like, you're not trying to look like them necessarily. Now borrow from them what you like about it. Um, but you know, what you're, what I, what I myself end up doing without thinking about it is trying to copy that style. And number one, they're the best at their own style. And two, then I'm missing the mark. The point was, and the example I gave was to understand the volume, three-dimensionality and form of the nose, human, animal, whatever. So sometimes I'll be doing that. And, and that also is going to help me to find my own unique style. You know, use, look, look at those guys, see what you like about it. Try to understand their process, what they did. But um, in the end, you've got to, you know, learn what you can, but don't duplicate it. Uh, just take what you admire about it. If it works for you and you can, you know, make it your own in your own way, terrific. Um, otherwise, uh, if you can't do that, like myself sometimes, um, I just, have to, I just have to take other artists out of it, know that they're there. Um, but in that session of draw, uh, drawing practice, I have to force myself to, like at that point, just look at a photo of something. 
like not another piece of art, but a, a real nose, a real cat nose, a real dog nose or whatever. And uh, just work on that because the point is to understand that. And uh, you know, what's the point of a practice session to progress? And if you're spending too much time agonizing over the fact that it doesn't look exactly like this other thing, then you're gonna waste your time because there's trillions of ways to draw one thing, you know? So, that was a really long answer, sorry. Yeah, no, but I mean, it's, it's what people need to understand. Everything shouldn't be a short uh, explanation. I, I want people to really get an opportunity to understand the mind and thoughts of what the creative process is and the amount of work and uh, what it takes to have a career in this industry and what the different careers in this industry look like. So sure sure uh, most people don't really get the opportunity to have this you think about your your cousins or your aunts or the average person on the street they don't really get a chance to see how much development it takes to do these things mm. so for um, those whom are interested in getting in the career or have someone that uh, is really talented and they want to push them but they don't know how to push them yeah this could be a platform for those types of people um, sure sure speaking of which when you decided that you wanted to be a professional artist and you started applying for schools and going that path um what was the reception for you and what was the what for me the reception how did like your family and people oh you know what was the thought process because most people would say, oh, I want you to be the, the doctor or the, go get the good job. What are you gonna do as an artist? Um, I was really fortunate. Um, I was very fortunate. I didn't really get a lot of flack for it. Um, I, I think what helped was that it was, I, I had a very, uh, by the time it was time to go to school, I had a very focused um, vision of what I wanted to do, which at the time was to be um, a full on Disney animator. And, um, you know, if you can make it in that to a certain level, you know, I've heard all kinds of alleged, uh, uh, not, no, not alleged, I've heard, I've heard responses from people on both ends of it. You can make decent money as an animator, you'll starve to death as an animator. It, just like with anything else, everyone has a different experience. So like, you know, after a while, I was like, when I would tell someone I wanted to be an animator, and they started going on and on about how hard it was, and you're not going to make any money. Ah, 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 ah. You know what? Let me do this. You know, I know you don't actually care whether or not <laughs> I do this. So, you know, um, I think that that having the attitude helped. Like the way I approached it when I would tell people after a while was, I just sort of had this attitude of this is what I want to do, and we're not going to argue about this. You know. Um, my, again, my mom was very supportive, and my stepfather was too at the time. But again, you know, it helped to, to um, have that focused, to have that focus. They had seen me drawing over and over and over. It wasn't, they could tell it wasn't some whim. It wasn't some, oh, that looks kind of cool. I just want to draw for a living. That'll be fun. And, you know, it, it'll be easy. No, I mean, it was, um, they saw me going through the process of practicing and being frustrated and like, you know, being red-eyed from just being up so late and uh, because I refused to let a drawing go. Now that was my mistake because sometimes you, sometimes you do need to let one go. But um, so that, that was helpful, having that um, definitive, or definitive focus on what you wanted to do. But I also, you know, um, 
I think what also helped was I was also open to, you know, when I declared what my major was at Georgia State, I'll be honest with you, I forgot what my minor was. <laughs> but, um, you know, I was open to other career paths if animation didn't pan out. But it also helped that I went, I went to college again after, after Georgia State, because again, they taught drawing, painting, and printmaking, um, which are great things to learn the you know, traditional, um, traditional arts. But, uh, you know, obviously, if you want to be a professional, you need to know how to use um, digital tools. So that's where our art institute came in. Um, and I, so I feel really fortunate in that way. Those, having those combined educations really helped a lot. But, you know, uh, again, I was very fortunate to have the support that I did. If people are out there and their family or friends, I'm sure they're well-meaning, are telling them that it's a dead-end job. It's, you know, it's, you're not going to make any money. Um, you know, I can't tell them just to ignore it only because it's not that simple for them to ignore, you know, people who aren't that much in their life, but just know that people have done it before. They'll do it again. Um, and to be honest, if people are out there making millions of dollars, you know, unboxing things on YouTube, it's entirely possible for you to make a living as an artist. Um, being focused is going to help and being serious about it, not just thinking you're going to, you know, draw pretty things and make a living. You can if you're like Ross Trent and had done that for years and years and have proven ta proven talent. Um, but again, you know, just it's it's doable. It's possible. Um, if anyone's giving you flack about it, it's ultimately your life. And if you feel good about it, um, then there's no reason for you not to go ahead with it. Be open, be flexible. Um, but don't be deterred by, you know, someone who isn't you, who isn't inside your head or your heart telling, trying to tell you uh, that that's no good. That's nonsense. Mm. Well put. Well put. Um, in that beautiful soliloquy, you <laughs> talked about um, wanting to be an animator. Uh, yeah. And thus far, you haven't gotten the opportunity to animate for Disney, but you did get to do an internship very early on with them. Yes. Talk about that experience. So even though that didn't result in an animation job, that was still pretty irreplaceable. Um, I mean, obviously, because it was just a lot of fun. Your, you know, your attitude was everything in that, in that internship. For all the CPs out there, you know what I'm talking about, college program. Yeah, CPs. Um, CP yeah. <laughs> Skyler knows a little bit about that, doesn't he? Yeah, uh, there too. But yeah, uh, for the record, uh, Magic Kingdom and Studios, Food and Beverage, and ODF, and uh, Attractions. And um, anyway, that taught me, you know, um, that was probably my first foray into like a corporate culture that um, was pretty prevalent um, as part of my life, you know anyone who's gone through that knows the training you go through initially and that while you're allowed to have your own life, you know, if you're, if you're working for, you know, Walt Disney company or Disney, uh, you are basically an ambassador for them everywhere you go more so than even at normal jobs in my opinion. Um, yeah, that's true. But it was, yeah, but it was, it was, um, it was a fantastic experience. I did do some, I didn't do any artwork that they commissioned or anything like that. But when I was working at the mansion, I remember I did a poster for it that was just for us um, cast members. And it went up, I put it up in the break room. And um, then it, uh, 
and a lot of people, you know, not a lot of people, I will say it was not uncommon to put drawings, um, just fan art and stuff in the break room and attractions, uh, like at Pirates of the Caribbean, there was one, I think, and uh, it disappeared one day. Now, I prefer to think that someone liked it and took it. They might have just trashed it, but, um, but uh, it, you know, even down there, though, um, people would tell me, and you know, they would ask what I wanted to do. I would say I would like to be, you know, a, a Disney artist. And, they, and you hear the same schlock all the time. Oh, you and everyone else, you and everyone else, you and everyone <laughs> Yes, me and a lot of other people. What's the problem? I don't understand why people, you know, I don't understand this almost pleasure people take in just pissing on other people's ambitions. You know, it's like when someone tells me they want to be an NBA player or just some, or they want to be an influencer or something that doesn't sound like a normal job or easily attainable or dependable. It's like, okay, you know, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to rain on their parade. I have my opinions about those jobs, but in the end of the, at the end of the day, the facts are it's possible. So I'm not going to go telling anyone you know, you can't do that for a living. It's impossible. Nonsense. We see it all. We see people making money on things that wouldn't appear to make money all the time. Not that making money is the point, but um, the point is they're doing what they love to do. And to be honest, you know, that's really where that success comes from. I think. Yes, a lot of people have tried to tried to make a living on what they love and didn't make it. Yes, yes, yes. I know a lot of people have tried and failed. Blah blah blah. What about you? You know. You're still alive, you're still kicking, you know. I, I can't help it if you've given up, but I haven't. And I'm 35 and, you know, I could have by now, but the drawing, the art in me won't stop talking to me. So I can't give up, you know, it's just not an option right now. You're hearing the voices. The voices, the voices yes. The voices yeah. are art. Yeah, I was, uh, I was like, I made some tea the other day and I put the, uh, I put the teapot down and the uh, the cup down, and I filled it up, and I put some mint leaves in it. And um, I was I just looked at it, and I was like, that makes it that would make a really nice drawing. Look at the colors, look at the composition, look at the. <laughs> I wonder if I could capture the reflection of that tea with a pencil, you know. Mm -hmm. So um, it's things like that. It's just you know, it it's unprompted motivation, wanting to try it, even if it doesn't work out. You're like, okay, let me try something else. That sort of thing. So that's that's dope. So speaking of trying something else, once you got back from Disney, you yeah. got into sewing and costume making. Yes. How did that come about? And what were some of those first pieces like? Okay, so I have to apologize to the, um, to the anime industry, although I never meant to insult. They've influenced me more than I've thought now that you're asking me these questions. Um, I really loved, uh, everyone who watches anime knows that a big thing in anime is, is costumes. I mean, you have the craziest, coolest out there costumes in anime. And um, I remember watching them when I was um, preteen and teenager. And uh, that was something I would focus on when I would try, try to draw it. And that never really left me. And um, I'll never forget, if I ever go anywhere with this stuff, I gotta remember to thank publicly my friend Jessica Jessica Lewis, she was sewing one day um, at my job. We were working at the Woodruff Art Center and she was just sewing a little piece of, um, a little accessory she was making for a costume. And I was like, what do you got there? And she started answering my questions. And I remember thinking, are you, are you, are you kidding? You just, you just made that? 
And uh, so she got me into actually sewing. And uh, the more I started sewing, the more I started, you know, seeing what other materials people use to make something. Um, and the more I, you know, observed that, the more I started observing outfits as a whole. And um, so I would go to movies and shows and start noticing a lot more these costumes and those costumes. And when I was doing it long enough, ob observing long enough, I started even appreciating stuff that wasn't like, quote unquote, complicated, like the period work, that's all super complicated stuff. But to be honest, even dressing um, or coordinating uh, modern day pictures, use, um, I started to gain an appreciation for that. Um, like when Phantom Thread won a few years ago. Now, obviously that was a fashion movie, but even, um, even the clothing and the people that weren't uh, the main character or the, the, um, the muse character, if you will, um, I was like, wow, look at the cut of that jacket. Look at, you know, look at how well that's presented. You know, uh, you start noticing those things. Um, and the idea uh, that, uh, the idea that you can use a costume to communicate, communicate things about a story or a person whether it's obvious or subtle, I always thought was fascinating. Um, Adrian, designer from the um, mid to early 20th century, was talking about how, um, I don't have the quote, I have the quote written down, but it's not with me. But the point is, he said, a good costume, uh, a good design can communicate an entire scene through the expedient of the costume or the, or the clothing. It's something along those lines. Um, I wrote it down and it's in, I think it's on my desk at work, which I'm obviously not at. Um, but I keep that sort of thing, those, that sort of quote close to me because it, um, it reminds me, you know, and he was a wizard at what he did. Um, it just reminds me that idea, that design, that concept, you know, you can communicate any number of things through, uh, through design. And in his case, it was clothing and fashion. And if you just Google, uh, Adrian, uh, fashion or Adrian costume, you'll see some <laughs> very, very glamorous stuff but that also was part of you know what what the what the world was the nation was going through at the time that glamour helped people to escape from the woes of um the late 20s and 30 and early 30s uh but yeah um i got into costume just through uh, i guess anime started it and then jessica nurtured it and then um i started walking on my own two feet after a while i still can't sew like jessica can but um i have the tools to learn how and uh, I know, the, and, and now I do more accessory work like the scale work you've seen. And uh, those I feel, feel pretty comfortable with in terms of just making something. And then of course, um, having that foundation, I, I feel comfortable just learning more and moving on and getting, making more complex things. Yeah, your scale designs are incredible. I mean, everyone I've uh, shown your stuff to is just so amazed by the pieces. What's well, I mean, even, you know, once you get a, a little bit more technical, those technical proficiencies that you're talking about that you want. I mean, yeah. Stuff yeah. Off the charts. Um, for those who haven't seen, you'll obviously put the link below and you can see some of his, uh, his drawings. And um, I've actually used some of this stuff in my pieces and uh, you can see those in my book, uh, mm. Body of Movement. And... Uh, yeah, I mean, excellent book. Excellent book. Incredible, incredible stuff. Like, I saw it and immediately had to have it. <laughs> <laughs> like, what do you have? Oh, let me see that. Oh, no, bring bring all of it. Yeah, yeah. I'll figure it out. Just bring all of it. I need all of it. Like, uh, when you start 
started getting into like the mass designs. Let's talk about yeah. the the materials and material choices and how you went that route because there's the actual sewing stuff but then there's you know when you start getting into um mask making and other accessories for yeah you know what was some of that um i got into mask making as a result of um I, I got really, I won't, well, uh, I got quasi-obsessed, meaning that I was really into it, but was able to maintain a normal life. <laughs> I got quasi-obsessed with the, um, the Venetian Carnivale and um, the way that um, they took a basic white mask and did, did all these wonderful complex patterns with them. Now it's not just a white mask, all the you know, aficionados would, will probably at me for that, but whatever. Um, there's just so many things you can do. And a mask, you know, the idea of it, the fact that you can take the person, <clears throat> you can become anything with just a mask. Now a costume helps too, of course, but um, you know, the masks provide um, escapes in a sense. And it's a piece of, um, it's an accessory that it's not an entire costume. So you have the luxury of focusing all of your energy on a small part of the body. Um, it's, it's not, I, I wouldn't call it necessarily easy. Um, I mean, it's simple if you have the method, but you know, depending on what you want to do, it becomes a lot more complex. Right. Um, but because, excuse me, um, because a lot of us, like I myself have had limited time when I started getting into mask making, I could make them a lot more expediently than, you know, drawing up, finding a pattern, putting together a costume. Mm -hmm. And, uh, the fact that I got to focus on just that one part of the body, I could, you know, think about, you know, full mask, half mask, quarter, three quarter mask, you know, uh, what kind of balance do I want? You know, what is, what are the materials? Now I went through, I went through more than I had to, but some things you just have to learn on your own. Even if, uh, the, even if the advice is out there, you don't hear it all or you don't, you know, you, you didn't, um, I didn't, you know, it could be something that I hadn't read yet that I, you know, if I'd have seen that before, I wouldn't have wasted my time. I started making masks out of um, plaster, which is, huh, you know, it'll, you can ride into battle <laughs> with, with a plaster mask almost. Um, but uh, yeah, that not a good idea. If you want to, you know, it's, it's not the most um, excellent material to um, you make a mask with. If you plan on wearing it extensively at a masquerade, for example, um, when I started going to the Labyrinth of Jareth, y'all should check that out. J-A-R-E-T-H, Labyrinth of Jareth Masquerade. Um, that's a fantastic resource if you just want inspiration. And if you wish, you know, definitely it's a, it's a fantastic party. It's a two-night masquerade. And I started making masks for that um, because, and that's also where the hardcore people go. It's, it's in California, so you have people in the movie industry that can really make some serious stuff going to that. And you'll see some crazy, wonderful stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, if just, as, just to tie that up, um, I learned through lots of trial and error, um, you know, what materials work for me. Now, I haven't finished learning, obviously. I still want to learn how to do um, more complex effects and uh, build up more, uh, more facial structure so I can make more animalistic forms. But, you know, because I did that a lot, um, I kind of I have confidence when I see something that I don't really know how that was done. I'm like, I can figure that out, you know. Uh, so yeah, and I, you know, still love mask making, probably always will, you know.
how is that um, level of wardrobe design um, helped your overall creative process when it comes to storytelling and building your characters? Um, you know, um, it's had the same similar contribution in the way the other things have. Uh, whenever I start a mask, you know, I have to ask myself, what's the point of this? You know, is this mask, you know, and the, and these are the fun questions, right? Is this an animal? Is it a human? Um, is it a spirit? Is it an element? You know, uh, what's the story behind this thing? Him, her, it, what is it? Um, is this mask good or evil? You know, what kind of effect does it have on the wearer? You know, these sorts of things. And, well, you know, even though I can't, I'm not actually making masks with magical powers or anything, um, pretending that you are informs the design, you know, starting out a design, ignoring completely the, ignoring completely the reality of the thing, ignoring whether or not people are going to think it's dumb. Um, same thing with my costumes. When I'm just designing something, there's no risk. So oftentimes when you're um, talking about designing for a show, you know, people talk about you have to consider the budget, which is reality, and that is true. You can't get around that. But initially, I ignore the budget because you, let's start with a, with a bang up idea because you don't want to, you don't want to, um, for lack of a better word, abort a good idea because of something like money in the beginning. You make the thing, just, you know, go full hog all out. And then, you know, when you're by yourself and designing, you know, before you talk to anyone, um, come up with all these brilliant ideas. And then just like with a drawing, a character design, an animation, go all out and then start peeling back and figuring out, okay, what, what realistically will and won't work with this? And how can I preserve as much as possible? What substitutes can I make? What do I need to keep and what has to go? Um, um, so th there's that, you know. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because while you were talking about the different reasons to wear a mask, I immediately went to Gundam because okay. Gundam always, always, always has a character that's a dude that has like either faked his death or is rebirthing at the end of this war. Yes. <laughs> and it's always like the nice flashy half-faced Venetian style masks. Yes, yes, yes. Half faces are becoming more appealing. I like, I, I still prefer a full face, full face. Mm -hmm. But I am gaining an appreciation for a half mask, especially if you're at a real party. You can't have a drink if you've got a full <laughs> Right. You know. What show would you say had probably one of the coolest masks? An anime or in general? I'll do anime and then general. You know, um, two totally different sort of. I'm trying to think, you know, TV shows and masks. Mm. I mean, you have The Mask with Jim Carrey. You've got um, Spawn had an interesting mask. Or Shaq. Um, I'm thinking up. Uh, technically, I can say that. Um, the that kind of stumps me. You know, I don't want to. Part of me like is reluctant to say this because it's a little cliche. And I don't really like the connotation, but for better or worse, um, Eyes Wide Shut had some pretty amazing masks. Those were your more traditional look, mm -hmm. but 
I have to say, the contrast the uh, cinematographer and uh, production designer drew with those masks and all the stark darkness and nudity, um, to be honest, um, if you take out all the stuff that takes you out of the artistry and is more sensual, which is okay too. Um, it's a part of art. I mean, so much stuff is sensual art, you know. You know like yes. High end Renaissance and the, the French era. <laughs> yes. 1600s. Yes. That's so innately in art that you can't not uh, give it its due respect. You can't. Um, and, you know, I'm trying to think of where else. If you, if one gets a chance to, you know, if you get to Venice, great. Um, but if you can't, for a while. Right Don't go to Venice yeah. right now. Well, not right now, no. <laughs> but um, this, you know, oh, obviously you. Google is one of our best friends now. Um, I really like looking up the real original Venetian masks. Not this, not the stuff they sell at Renaissance fairs. And even when I was in Venice, the tourist places where all these glittery, crazy, bejeweled, you know, over the top, you know, silvery, yada, yada, yada. I mean, those are okay, but you know, they're mass produced. Um, I'm talking like the stuff where the, all you have is basically a white face mask and you go from there, you know, uh, that's the kind of stuff that I really enjoy. Not because it's, you know, not sparkly or because it's super simple. No, it just kind of, just like with a, uh, white piece of paper, a white canvas, it's like you can go anywhere with it. And you want to make sure you go somewhere that isn't, uh, you know, already, already definitively mainstream or recognizable. And when you look at, you know, the actors from the, and hold on a second, hold on, mm -hmm. give me just one second. Mm -hmm. sure. I got this, um, I picked up this book at a library sale years ago, and it's just, um, it's a great uh, starter for me when I wanna do a new mask, if I start with this, but often I do. And it's in Italian, so, um, you know, either look at it just for the pictures or, you know, know how to speak, know how to read Italian. It's called um, Mascheria Venezia. Hmm. And uh, it's an older book, but none, none, nevertheless, you know, you it's got, um, it's got lots of different paintings and masks in here, but it also has some history behind the carnival and behind the different mask styles themselves, the stories that they come, uh, that, that it comes from. Um, you know, there's also, um, this is getting really niche, so I'll wrap it up because I don't want to go up too uh, far into left field. There's also an opera called, uh, opera called Un Ballo di, Mas Un Ballo di Mascara, I think. Um, Anyway, that's got a lot of, traditionally has a lot of masks in it. And um, of all the Google productions, of all the productions I've Googled, that one has some consistently wonderful designs. Yeah. And it's a great show. Um, but yes, in terms of uh, like films and television, you know, I hate being cliche, but Eyes Wide Shut, that was a great one. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it was influential because I mean, that, that changed time. You know, mm -hmm. everything that came after that was based off of that so you know what actually uh, and one more i will add uh, something else um japanese masks from theater mm. those um are just uh, some fantastic masks um just because they're just so for an illustrator they're just so wonderfully um apropos you know 
Um, you may not, I may, I don't, I don't necessarily like everyone that I've seen, obviously, but um, it's a whole other kind of aesthetic. And then you start mixing those things that, you know, again, pardon the cliche of the phrase, but literally start looking at what the East has to offer um, stylistically, what the West has to offer um, and see, you know, pull from each one of those. Um, because, you know, that's how you create, you know, you, you create new things by trying different things, you know. Um, or if you want to stay in that vein of tradition, keep it going. And that's fine, too. Yeah. One of the um, places that really influenced me that I didn't realize was Cirque du Soleil. And okay. I was uh, fortunate to work there when I was uh, on the Disney program. Mm. But I think it was partially because my mom had already taken me to see Cirque du Soleil a few times. So when I think about like in real life, what costumes and masks affected me, I think Cirque du Soleil was a huge influence. Um, uh, that, no surprise, that's a, that's a great, the perfect example. And then, you know, it, when you think about like functionality, yes, they're, they're literally swinging by hair or doing <laughs> flips or type wiring with you know these head these head pieces so that element yeah. of um functionality with character and concept um, mm -hmm. and like just this extravagantly you know big persona in what are either small or simple pieces well, i can't call them simple but you know they're one pieces or they're single head piece or, you know. Yeah. Feathers. There was, go ahead. The feathers. Oh my God. Feathers. Oh, they got to be careful with those. They can be overused. Yeah. Um, there was a performer when I was an intern at Disney. Uh, they used Disney uh, Epcot. The Italian pavilion used to have like a mini carnival um, every day around three or four. Mm -hmm. And I used to love going to that. It was just terrific. And um, I just loved watching them. And I, you know, as an artist, I just liked looking at those masks and the costumes. So I would walk around looking at them. And then, unfortunately, one day, I mean, it wasn't terrible. It wasn't like a big embarrassing thing. But to this day, it still kind of gets my goat. This one performer, I think she thought I was stalking her because um, she gave me this, through the mask, I could, she gave me this really nasty, ugly look. And I was like, don't flatter yourself, honey. <laughs> Whatever. Um, I, went, I, I was just, um, that was, again, that was just such a great experience too. Disney provides a lot of great experiences. And they stopped that, doing that show one day. I guess, it, I don't know if it was a contract thing or whatever, but uh, man, that was a shame. And, and you know, you remember the Epcot uh, Italian Pavilion. I don't know if they still have those masks. They probably still do. But yeah. they had that mask shop, you know? They did. They did. I grabbed a few out of there. Yeah, yeah. Majora's Mask. Now, that's, that was a great influence. Yeah. That was a great way of, like, you know, that was a great characterization of uh, mask work. Or, excuse me, a way to use mask work as characterization. That's what I'm trying to say. No, I, I mean, I definitely walked out of Cirque du Soleil. I mean, hanging out with the feathers and the cobblers and the, the jugglers and the gymnasts. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. I walked out of there and was like... I knew I had to do something uh, character related, story related on the on the film side of my creation. Because uh -huh. I was already a, a television editor at that point. 
You you already you already what? I was already a television major at that point. Ah. So, you know, going through Cirque du Soleil, I knew I had to combine that with um, body work. And that's sort of how you get the stuff that I've made. And even the, the pieces that we've done together, you know, they sort of have those elements. Yes, yes, most definitely. Especially the, um, when I think about the, the lines of the body that you see at Cirque du Soleil, that's um, definitely echoed in your work. Um, but because it's photography, it freezes it in a, in a very interesting way, you know, kind of forces you to think about it. Uh, you know, you look at, you know, I'm sure most of us, um, when we see something like Cirque du Soleil, we admire that these people can do this thing with their body. But when you capture certain stills of it, you're like, oh, I didn't, you know, they're really, they got their back like this and they're holding it for this long and they look this graceful, you know. It's incredible stuff. Yes. Incredible stuff. So, you come back from, from Disney. Yes. And you finish up at Georgia State. You're moving yes. through, you said you went to Art Institute. You're moving through the secondary schooling. Yes. Now you're starting to look for what's your next step with uh, your career. Where mm -hmm. do you go? What happens next? Um, well, when I, excuse me, um, I came back from Disney and Art Institute wasn't free for, for a few years yet. Um, I finished at Georgia State finally. And um, the only reason I say finally is because I kept going back to Disney. I didn't fail anything. I just was offset by that. Yeah. Um, and I graduated in 2008, which was not the best time to graduate college. And, uh, but I, you know, I luckily I landed into a job that, you know, kind of paid the bills, was better, it was, you know, it wasn't minimum wage. And, um, but luckily, that was at the Woodruff Art Center. Luckily, I was able to, um, still practice my artwork while having a job and uh, you know observing who was being who was being who was successful in my eyes at the time um, I noticed a lot of these people if they weren't well-known gallery artists uh, were people that could animate or do motion graphics or were animate uh, excuse me or could do um, most they were basically people that were computer artists and so uh, from there, I was like, okay, uh, I guess I have to learn how to do the computer stuff now. And Georgia State touched on it, but again, it was mostly traditional at the time. So uh, that's, where Art, that's where Art Institute came in. And they had a program called Media Arts and Animation, where as, as I read through it, um, I saw that uh, it would equip you, it wouldn't guarantee, but it would equip you with several different professions equip you with the ability to work in several different professions, even if it wasn't just animation. So I thought that that was, that sounds good to me. You're still being an artist and you can do this, that, and the other. Um, and plus Disney at the time, you know, and if you, if you didn't know Maya, don't ask, you know, so uh, I knew I could learn it there. And so that's what I did. And I come to find out when I was animating in 2d at art Institute, uh, frame, uh, um, frame by frame animation, um, I learned that I didn't, wasn't as much as in love with it as I thought. I still love animation in general, but when it, I was animating a character that was like crouching and then he was supposed to spring up with his arms back and then return. And uh, I remember getting really 
annoyed with the little detail drawings, the in-betweens, and I just didn't have the patience for it, which is on me, not the animation. And um, I learned that that wasn't the kind of animation that I wanted to do. Now, funny enough, as a result, when I see 2D animation, I am even more appreciative of it now, knowing how many drawings and how, many erase, how much erasing, how much you have to stand in front of a mirror looking ridiculous to capture it. Because um, I was able to do it, but I just wasn't, um, I wasn't in love with it. And you could see that in some of my animations. Some of them are pretty decent. Others were like, nah. Um, although I kind of liked 3D animation, that was kind of fun. But I learned enough to uh, make some pretty nice work in motion graphics. And if I, if I needed to animate in 3D, I still can. Um, and again, that's where that, uh, you know, I can do this comes in on your resume. Now, I don't lie and, you know, I don't, I don't say that I'm Glenn Keane or anything, but, um, you know, I do keep animation on my resume, at least with 3D, because I, you know, I know how to use those controls. And I still, um, Art Institute, even though I didn't fall in love with 2D animation like I thought I would, it still taught me um, about understanding motion and weight, the principles of animation, you know, squash and stretch, all that sort of thing. So I still use that in what I do now, which is mostly animating um, puppet type rigs. And uh, again, the motion graphics, all those principles still apply, you know. Uh, so that's, that brought me to understanding what I did love about animation, what I didn't love about animation and opening my mind to, well, you know, you could also do this and that would be, um, that would be fun. You could also do this. I enjoy doing that. Um, and of course, as I'm learning those art skills in digital, I'm also <clears throat> still very much in love with costume design and uh, production. So that just, it was all gravy at that point. All these things, all of my dislikes were revealing themselves. All my likes were becoming more pronounced and the skills were growing at the same time. So it was really just a very nice refinement process. So as you're refining, you're now making uh, pieces that you enjoy. Mm -hmm. You're a stronger animator and you've at least like built a, a repetition of skills that'll work in the digital arena. What happens after you graduate? Was there another hiatus or were you able to jump straight in and find work? I was, I was lucky enough to um, attract a business before graduation. Um, they liked my drawings and they offered me a job before I graduated, which was very, very nice. Um, you know, corporate stuff, yes, but you know, I, you know, corporate is not always the funnest, but it is, you know, it is steady. And, you know, they did, they did ask me to come and work for them. So you gotta, you, you gotta remember that that's a form of flattery. You know, the fact that they trust you with your, they trust their product with your skill. And, uh, you know, it's dependable stuff for the most part. I mean, nothing is guaranteed, but you know, it's, Freelance is fun because you get to be your own boss, but corporate, even though you see you're answering to someone else, you know, there's a little bit of stress taken off. Um, so I've been with them ever since. And uh, I've also, that entire time I've been networking, you know, people see your work, the big boss shows this client this, they're like, oh wow, you can do that? You know, and the whole time I've also been uh, a supernumerary at the Atlanta Opera, building that network, learning more about production and design there, you know. You know, so I still, 
I'm not or um, I'm not in the place I saw myself at this age, but I've also learned that that doesn't really matter. Um, you know, I can't get too caught up in what I should be right now, and I can't get caught up on where other people are. Now I can appreciate where they are and try to learn from it, but I'm not them, and it won't get me anywhere to lament that or to lament that I don't have what they have. It just doesn't make any sense. You're getting in the way of your creativity and your own good flow of good things. Not to get too metaphysical, but I mean, that, from my experience, that's still the way it is. Oh, preach. Let, let it out. If I've learned, I was talking to my brother the other night, we were just talking about life, and I was like, if I've learned anything in life by this point, it's two words, rule number one, don't hate. <laughs> I mean, that will get in the way of everything. And now, on occasion, I'll, I'll hate just a little, and then I got to get over it. I'm like, you know what? Fine, whatever, 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 whatever. Is it is it hate or is it a um, um, competitiveness? It's um, it's a little competitive. I don't. I'm, I will say that uh, part of my, I don't want to say weakness, but part of my character is that I don't like competition. I've always, I feel competition saps me of my creativity because I worry too much about the other person. Mm-hmm. So I've always hated competing. Um, and when I, you know, I use hate in the, you know, in the, in the, uh, the, the musical sense, you know, I'm just being straight up jealous yeah. and uh, trying to cover that up with throwing shade. And <laughs> I recognize that. And that's why, and so I realized that, you know what, I'm just being an ass, pardon me. Um, yeah. Let me not hate on them. Let me see what they're doing. I don't know their story. And, uh, it's really none of my business that they have what they have. Uh, let me just be happy for them because if there's anything that, you know, if there's anything that sucks, you ever have something really great happen to you and like you tell someone that you, you, you know, that you're close to and they're like, oh yeah, that's cool. You know, you're just, or, or they say, no, yeah, well, you know, it's probably not real. You know, I was like, that is just such a buzzkill. I mean, it doesn't take away what you achieved, but you're just like, really, really asshole, you know? <laughs> so, um, no, I try I, I think there there are two sides of that coin. On on one side, uh, every artist I think has a, if not a competitiveness, sort of a an ego that yeah. wants to give their best or think that they put out something that is prolific when you really put yourself, you know, into it. And then when you walk out and you see someone else and you see their shit and you're like, oh, fuck, how do they think? I got to go back to the drawing board. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Fuck, you know, so I mean, I I definitely remember, I can especially remember in college, you know, there was always someone in class that was going to come with some shit that was way better than yours. Like, whether you had to put it... You know, for us, um, in the video classes, we would have to uh, put our DVD in or send them our file, and our file would have to upload or put our DVD tape in. And it would, yeah. for, the, for the class, for my photography classes, you know, we would have to actually print, map board, and mount it, and then we'd do a full critique on how well it was processed and how we did, what we did the assignment. And there was always, always someone whose stuff was like incredible like why are you even at school incredible <laughs> <laughs> right right yeah you know i had that same feeling at um art institute like there were some people that like i was hating on them 
but um, I let it go. But by the time I graduated, I let go of it. Yeah, I mean, it's, like you love their work, but you just hate being it. Like, fuck, I gotta go with this. <laughs> you know, it's just it's just like this is some bullshit because like oh. some of these some of these guys were just like, well, that's nice that you got an illegal copy of Photoshop and have had time to just do that for years. I haven't, you know. But sometimes it's actually kind of liberating. Like in that instance, you know, it's you know I can't do anything about the fact that they're probably better than me at this thing. But the way I turn that around is, um, okay, well, they're better than me right now at that thing. If I wanted to, if I really wanted to, you know, all I got to do is focus real hard, look at what they're doing, you know, um, learn from it and uh, improve my own work. Not for the purpose of beating them because you're not doing it for the right reasons. Because the thing is that person's going to keep getting better too. Yeah. Um, so the point is, you know, just, you know, do your own best and learn from what's making you jealous and just get better yourself. Because at some point, you know, you're going to turn around and maybe that person or someone else will be like, damn, that looks good. You know, that happened to me. I've had people compliment my work. I'm like, you're complimenting me, <laughs> you know? I mean, yeah. I mean, I think that's um, for the people who are like anime fans. I think that's like how you see the the Naruto Sasuke or the um, yeah Asta, you know, type relationship. I think that's sort of what artists are. Like you'll see it and there's a rivalry of sorts, not like a yeah. real beef or a real hate or anything like that, but it's just like, you want to see them get better and you want like them getting better pushes you because yeah. you're like, shit, I gotta, I, I can't let them surpass me per se well, if we do yeah. things that are different i have to continue to hone with hone in on what it is that i'm doing right yeah, yes exactly you know um i also came to this came to this you know this personal truth uh, one day i was like you know do i really have to be the best in the world i mean there's always going to be someone that's better than you and there's always going to be someone that's better than them and there's always going to be someone that's better than that person um but to be honest the best isn't always what, you know, gets the contract or is remembered. Now, extraordinary skill often is, you know, like your Da Vinci's, your Bernini's. I'm favoring the Italians right now, but I mean, there's plenty of others. Um, but, you know, I have found personally, when I'm not worried about impressing everyone and just trying to make my mark, I will often create pretty great work. It doesn't happen every single time. But since my mind isn't there, it's clear and more focused on, I can see the mistakes I'm making right now. I can see where this could be better, where that could be better. You know, if you just sort of, again, we're, t we're talking more thought than art right now, but, you know, I have found that um, when you just sort of trust that the, the idea of the art will be revealed in the progress of your work, it doesn't let you down usually. And even when you make a bad drawing, quote unquote, bad drawing, that's not letting you down. Obviously, you learned what's not working, but it's almost like, well, I had to get that out of me. You know what I mean? Um, I've been, I've been doing, giving myself some remedial art practice these past few days, forcing myself to go back to the silhouette game. And, um, you know, this morning, I forced myself to do like just, you know, not many, 40 silhouettes. I did one per minute. And um, if it was great, great. If it wasn't, move on. You don't, I, I, did, I didn't get to pretty them up. I didn't get to work on them. I didn't get to, no, no, no. You know, this is me forcing the ideas out of my head, out of my hand, and not even trying to make a great work of art. You know, I would start with something like, you know, let's start drawing the silhouette of a lampshade. 
Then I'd get down to where the neck of that lamp was and I'd be like, okay, bunny rabbit. And then at the end, I'm like, uh, um, you know, noodles, you know, and I'm not rendering those out. I'm just starting with those shapes. And then I would let myself at the end of each minute, you know, do three or four or several erase, eraser marks, not with specific intention, just to see what the resulting shape was. And um, out of those 40, I have about three things that could become really interesting characters um, or designs. And to me, that was worth it because I would have, I know me, if I'd have started out intending to do that right now where I am, it probably would have taken me an hour and I would have not come, I might not have come up with one thing that I was satisfied with. But these random, these random gestures that I did um, just sort of willy nilly as practice, they could be something. And uh, I get the point of me saying that is, you know, you just got to trust that the idea and the skill is there because it is. Um, maybe a placebo effect, but you know what, if it works, it works, you know, yeah. and you're not, and I'm not worrying about, you know, this great artist or that great artist that's doing so much better. That's making a living just off drawing. Bravo. Great for them. I wouldn't change it if I could, you right. know, all I want to do is get where I want to go and I'm not going to get there by hating on them, uh, or being jealous. Same thing, really. Well, I mean, most artists, even those, um, who are prolific creators are work for hire guys. So it's not necessarily yeah. um, they're they're not necessarily doing exactly what they want to either. Oh, that's true. So let's talk about the difference between organizing the mentality behind your personal work versus uh -huh. organizing your mentality towards client works or things you have to do on the on the day-to-day -day job. Okay. Um, you know, when, when, as, when I work for a client, um, clients at work, of course, uh, you know, what they need is, I work for a comp an HR company. And so the illustrations that they need are often the same thing quote unquote, over and over again. And I say that in quotes because I'm not complaining, it's just the reality. They, they need the same thing for this client, the same thing for that client. And, um, you know, I'm fortunate because the company likes the pro the, what I produce, but I'm personally just like, if I draw one more person sitting at a computer checking their email, if I draw one more person, you know, but then it becomes that, you know, if I'm complaining, it becomes my job to make it so that I'm not. Part of that is just having a better attitude about it. Um, and part of having a better attitude is asking yourself, well, what could make this not so boring, which is, you know, art 101, but sometimes you forget you get, when you get complacent. And so, you, you know, luckily for me, you know, I'm like, okay, well, let's try this angle. Let's try that angle, you know, Googling all those stock photos to see, you know, the different camera angles. And because you're drawing, you know, you can use that for your art. So you have different uh, perspectives and because you're using illustration, it's not that same stuff you buy on Adobe stock not to knock Adobe stock, but you know, there's just, you know, things they come and go and out of fashion. And, um, you know, you can recognize when something is a stock photo, you know what I mean? Um, but it doesn't mean I can't make use of that. So um, working for clients, yes, it's about what they want, but you find, you still find your own way of putting your own spin on it if you can. Um, I haven't had really many clients where, you know, Actually, I haven't had any clients where they dictated the entire process because they're coming to an artist for a reason because they don't either don't want to, can't, or they do it themselves, or they just like what you do. 
Um, so in the end, they are coming to you because you have something to offer that they, um, for some reason, can't do themselves or won't, which is not a knock against clients. It's just, you know, again, remember, even though you're not doing what you want to do or making what you want to make, people are coming to you because you're good at what you do. Right. And I mean, that's there's a reason you know, we go to the grocery store. What's that? There's a reason we go to the grocery store. Nobody wants yeah. to. Yeah. 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 Does that answer that question? It does. I was like, I know I can be very Fraser-esque and verbose, but you know, that's the way of editing. Fraser-esque. <laughs> Speaking of Fraser, what did you think of him as Beast? Um, he, uh, oh, in the, uh, in the, the X-Men. new, oh, X-Men, I thought you meant, I was like, I was like, did he, he wasn't the Beast in the new Beauty and the Beast. No, he's, I don't think so. Um, I, I, it would be funny if he did get that again though, huh? I was I, I saw I saw that and I was like, okay, sure. You know, I've seen you know I did that was I wasn't bothered by that. By the time they came out with that X Men, I was like, I mean, whatever, <laughs> sure. Everything else has changed, you know. Um, but I mean, I thought he did a you know the Beast. I forgot that Beast was actually an intellectual, so um, I thought actually it was sensible, you know. Mm. It was, it was okay. It was okay with me. I'm not terribly invested in that franchise, but at the same time, I don't not care at all. What did you think? He was actually one of the few casts that I really felt was like, he wouldn't have been my obvious choice, but when I saw him, I was like, oh yeah, that's a good sort of fit for a character. Especially yeah. He's not doing a ton, a ton of action and he's really being. Right, right. Any any of those casts you were like, no, what the hell? I I get so much pushback when I talk about this, but I hated Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. Why? He looked the part, but you and I both grew up on like eighties and nineties X-Men. Yes. Yeah. So you know that he was a wild, feral, unpredictable, moody person and Hugh Jackman just struck me as grumpy grandpa. <laughs> I can, I can, I can, when you view it through that lens, I feel like I can see it. It's like, I wanted someone that was a little more savage to play that character and it would have maybe balanced out, you know, Scott and some of the more mellow. Yeah people i think they did better with like a deadpool <clears throat> yes yeah but i thought that was pretty spot on um yeah i'll be honest i kind of just at this point i just wish they would if they're going to do more x movies and x-men solo movies i just wish they would pick another x-men to focus on them it's just so tired of the wolverine this and the wolverine that well that's that contract's done so he's out i mean i like wolverine but i'm just like there's a lot of other really 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 cool ones yeah but whatever, they're not asking me. They probably shouldn't, because. <laughs> or should they? Nah, nah, nah. Even though, you just because I didn't. I'm a, I'm a Marvel expert. Ask me, Marvel. I'll, I'll do it for you. No, well, just just ask. You know, just because I didn't like it doesn't mean it wasn't good. I just, you know, not my. Well, I was never Wolverine. He was okay, but I was like, okay, I get it. I get it. 
claw left, claw right, same thing. Like, yeah, I get it. You got those damn animating claws. Fine, I get it. You can only you can only look badass so many times before it's like, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, at least with Rogue, it's like it's always a different power. Storm, different weather patterns. Professor X, you know, <laughs> there's unlimited number of things you can do with that telepathy. You know, it's like, here's my claws. There they are again. Here they are again. I think the thing that made his story interesting was, which you don't really see as much in the movies, but you definitely get in the books, is the anguish between the memory loss and then not knowing how old he really is. So it's like, it doesn't matter who they run into at any point in time. He's had a run in with them, whether he remembers or not. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that's true. So I think that's it's always interesting to get these bits and pieces of his story. And then, I mean, half the fun of his character is watching him get blown away. Like, well, there's that too. But I wouldn't complain if they um, did a, um, you know, a Storm or a Mystique-focused movie. Yeah. Storm, or even Storm would be cool, but they're going to stay away from it to keep Black Panther the way it is for now, probably. Mm, probably so. Probably not a bad idea. Crap. So we've kind of gone through different areas of uh, your career path and what you've done. Let's talk about yes. like what you see yourself doing next, what your what your future goals are, and how you think you can. Well, you know. I see myself staying open, um, which is not, a, it's, that's not a throwaway answer. Um, staying open is what's led me to learn what I've learned. And I, I didn't, you know, if you'd asked me at Georgia State if I was gonna be into designing costumes and, and doing costumes for show, shows that I'm not, you know, in charge of, that I'm not even hired to do, I'd be like, Wait, why would I ever do that if I'm not hired to do it? But, you know, it's funny, you know, it, it goes back to that, that call, that natural call. I mean. It's almost like that voice that Elsa heard in Frozen 2. <laughs> it just um, Staying open is, I feel, what's going to keep me happy no matter what I'm doing. Um, now, if I could wave a wand, um, I would like to be designing for operas um, and straight theater, but mainly opera because um, I'm just, I really like grandiose design. I like big, full-scale things. Um, and I would just love to be able to do that. Um, for the rest of my life, maybe. I don't know. But um, I do know that I've liked drawing clothing for some years now, and it hasn't gotten away from me. Um, I've interned um, in that trade uh, when I was in New York. Um, and I've heard, you know, not all the stories, but I've heard many stories and I've still, I've got a book I'm still reading through about uh, costume design in terms of the, the reality of it, budget and the hectic schedules that sometimes happen, what you're all in charge of. I'm not really feeling the whole financing thing, but if I have to go through that, whatever. If I can, if I can have a job where I draw something and that ends up on a stage on a person, you know, that it's a deal. And it doesn't have to just be, you know, it doesn't have to just be costumes. If they're like, well, would you do a set rendering? Would you um, mind, you know, designing the pieces that are going to be on the set? You know, um, 
uh, you know, even, or, 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 you know, it would be really fantastic. What would be really fantastic would be designing costumes for animated films. You know, it's becoming, to me, I'm becoming, you know, more and more enthralled with the, you know, when I was watching Frozen 2 and the first Frozen, I was like, okay, that's a cool, that's a cool gown, that's a cool outfit. What's, um, that's a cool palette. You know, not, that's not new, of course. But uh, for me, I'm just noticing it more because animation is becoming so much more sophisticated. Um, it may be something that's still mostly geared, geared for audience, uh, for kids. Um, although I would, I would say families rather because animators and storytellers are getting a lot better about serving everybody with a lot of movies. Um, but again, the point is it's becoming more sophisticated. So I could even be happy, I think, doing design for that or building because you know, I, still, I still do 3, 3D modeling and um, you know, I still get a kick out of doing that because again, you can make anything and make it look real if you know what you're doing. And it doesn't, you know, it takes some education, but you know, all you want to, all you need is to want to want to do it. And luckily we have the tools. You have the tools at your disposal without having to go to expensive schools now, which I'm not knocking schools. You know, I, that's how I learn best. I can learn on my own, but I like formal education. Um, but you know, if you're someone that doesn't do so well in the classroom um, or, you know, you just don't see yourself being able to take on that sort of financial obligation, you know, don't lose heart. Uh, just be really patient and Google it. Um, and, you know, books, I always champion books, but for immediate access, you know, and I don't when I say Google it, don't take it the wrong way. I don't believe that you should do that as your first resort. If you want to talk to a person, please do that. Um, you know, telling someone just to Google something um, when they ask you a question, that's kind of an asshole thing to do, you know, <laughs> or at least, you know, <laughs> say, I don't know, but I would try Googling this and such other than just, why don't you just Google it, you know. Um, I personally hate that. It's part of why I went to actual school because I like learning from actual human beings because they can express things and explain things when I don't understand the concept rather than just look at a screen or look at a message board where people are just not really discussing the subject anymore. They're just insulting each other. Um, but yeah, uh, I kind of lost my train of thought there. But, oh, where, where do I see myself? Yeah, um, hopefully designing, to be honest, hopefully designing costumes and uh, things for opera. Um, I wouldn't knock video games or uh, movies because, you know, those are still stories and they just, they just keep getting better and better and better and more in depth. Um, they're serious things. They've always been serious in terms of designing them and making them, but you know, you can tell a story in a video game now, like you never could in, you know, 95. Right. For sure. What, um, you actually answered my next question, which was going to be, what, would, what would you tell, you know, budding artist or budding creative that may not have the resources, but you you already knocked that out of the park. It's that was embedded in your last answer. Um, I will, go ahead. Do you have more to add to that? Concerning that, I would add one thing. What's that? Whether you are fifteen or fifty, my personal advice still applies. I feel like there's a lot, a lot of. Um, encouragement and resources geared towards up and coming people that are just going to school or that are still in high school. And I think that is all fantastic and wonderful. But there's a lot of people out there, whether or not they're artists, that 
have ambitions and goal ambitions and goals that sort of throw them away simply because they're not a kid or because they're in a full-time job and it's just hard for them to practice or have access to it afterwards. And to that, I would say, I'm not going to pretend to know your situation, but please don't, don't let your age, don't let that silly number dictate to you whether or not you belong in your, um, whether or not you should be still uh, going after your dream or your desire. Please don't let the fact that you no longer are 25 um, or are considered a millennial or don't let that a silly thing like age, because that's something I feel like it's just so prevalent in our culture. You know, when you hear about someone who's accomplished something in the news, so many times the 33 year old this, the 40 year old this, the 20 year old this, it's like that is a human being first. Their age is kind of inconsequential. Um, so the, I'm not going to go too deep into that, but please, if I could advise anything else, don't let how old or young you are get in the way of it. Just don't. Just don't pay attention to that. That's something that our culture is just really into for some reason. I don't know why. Um, but you still have, you know, you, if you're alive, that means you've got life to live. And, you know, you could be 40. But what if you live to be 80? You know, that's 40 years where you, you had time to, you know, try to make it happen. So, um, yeah, that's such great advice. Man, it, it is very easy for people to get discouraged or make excuses or feel like... Especially if you're an artist. You're like, well, no one's going to see your face. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you've gotten fat and wrinkled, who cares? You right. know? <laughs> yeah. But, no, yeah. I, I agree. And, you know, we, we tend to stop ourselves before we start or to give ourselves the excuse that we're going to fail. Right. right. We've had an opportunity to really water the seed to see yeah bro yeah or that they're so much better because like there's people that are gonna look at my work and be like who's he he like he can't do shit you know and you know that's fine you know i i still feel that way about a lot of my work it needs so much more practice but i'm not going to stop drawing i'm not going to stop posting things um because eventually i will be a lot more badass and i will be i will my work will look like the kinds of people's work i like um I can't worry about, you know, I can't just, I can't perpetually worry about um, opinions that don't really matter or comments that aren't going to help me be better. If someone just wants to be insulting, then there's no, I, we, I have no time for that. But if you say, that's okay, but maybe you should try this or have you considered this? I can listen to that. And that's what's up, bro. You know what well, I mean? Yeah, no. And now you guys know why I think this guy is such an amazing person he's been a great friend of me for long you're flattering but i appreciate it and i thank you and um i appreciate you so much for sitting with us while you're working uh from home um actually before i wrap this up entirely um yeah. talk about how that's been what your process has been um in the last few weeks uh working from home dealing with uh the virus and the outspread of that um, you know, it's like a lot of us have had to basically um, kind of the self-discipline I kind of had, like, I don't mind working from home, but yeah, I have had to sort of find ways of uh, making it interesting when it gets to be a little too repetitive. Now, luckily, because I'm doing artwork, um, it doesn't get repetitive as often, but you know, you're an artist, 
sometimes you'll be working on something that's creative, but the creativity just is not coming. You're just like, I got nothing for this. That I spend um, a lot of time in, in technical limbo. There's a thing that's broken. There's a piece yes. of project I can't do until the next piece is done. So yeah, that happened to me today. I got um, booted off the VPN technical issues. So I was about an hour, you know, um, not twiddling my thumbs, but I could have. And there was really nothing I could do for work at the moment because everything, um, all the files I was working on, they're up in a cloud that I can't get to. Um, so what did I do? I was like, you know what? This is a good time to draw some noses. This is a good time to let me see if I can make an, eye, an eyeball more cartoony. Because um, my, my style of artwork could use a little more flexibility and plasticness to it. Um, so that's what I did. Or, um, you know, as we've all been hearing, and for good reason, I, you know, I was like, you know, this is a good time to do some um, squats. This is a good time to do some push-ups. You know, because, you know, we all want to, you know, look, a lot of us want to, you know, use this time, maximize our use of this time. So, and of course, that sort of gets the blood pumping better. More thoughts start coming into your head, that sort of thing. Um, by the time you finish doing that, you kind of want to sit down and draw some more, you know. And before you know it, you get an email, hey, you're back online. Um, so I just sort of use the, I use the time at home to work, obviously, uh, for work. But uh, when I have a moment, I was like, let's just take a few minutes and sketch this down, see what we come up with. Keep, keep those muscles, keep those hand, and, hand muscles fluid, keep that eye-brain-hand relationship going. Um, you know, it's all learning, it's all good. Mm, and that's something so important that you just said was the fact that um, even when you have these down moments, you could still um, do micro lessons on your skill sets, on your other skill sets. So yeah. it's never, uh, something's never being completely denied, even though you have to work somewhere else or in another medium. Right, right. And there's just so much to learn. You know, with drawing, like, I've been on this kick where I keep on going between anatomy, I keep going between anatomy, clothing, heads specifically, features, and then just plain old object observation, you know, drawing a lamp or, or a card table, or, you know, for some reason, there's a, for some reason, there's a beanie baby, beanie uh, baby next uh, across from me. I don't know where that came from, but it's a camel. And, uh, you know, this would be an excellent thing to draw, <laughs> you know, um, you know, cause you're like, how can I capture that? How can I capture the fur on the legs versus that long shaggy fur on his neck? And, you know, how can I make that look like a toy and not a real camel other than the proportions, you know? So there's, there's a, there's a challenge there, you know? All right. Oh, thank you so much for uh, joining us today. I appreciate your time. And uh, we'll definitely have to have you come back on another day and talk some more. Well, uh, yeah, let me, let me get some more impressive stuff under my belt and then. <laughs> yeah. Tell everybody yeah. where they can find you, they can link up with you, they can see your work and how they can stay connected. Oh, well, okay. I'm being a little vulnerable here, but uh, my website is jleehunter.com, J-L-E-E-Hunter.com. Um, and then my, uh, my IG, which is a bit more updated, which has some of the scale stuff on it too, because there's no scales on the website right now. Um, it's, the Instagram is animatorious, A-N-I-M-A-T-O-R-I-A-S. Um, so there's that. Um, I'm not claiming to be genius or the best artist in the world. I'm just given what I've learned and that has served me personally, whether or not I am the best. Um, it has made me happy and I still keep on doing what I do, not because I feel like I have to, but because I still want to. So if you can use that 
please. Yeah. There you have it, folks. The humble, the talented, the amazing Jared Hunter. Well, you know. thank you, Skylar. That was very kind of you. And make sure you check out Sky's book um, and all that photography. It's stuff that, oh, it'll make you rethink uh, what you feel about photography if you don't think it's art already. Yeah. Beauty of movement coming out uh, very soon. Um, all the fine art stuff, you can catch it at um, artofskywind.com. And I've got some new stuff coming out really soon, too. So stay posted. Thanks so much for joining us for today's edition of Why I Got In. Until next time, like, subscribe, and leave comments, and we'll talk to you soon.